Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the Gospel of Luke, where the writer emphasizes the ministry that Jesus had to the poor and hurting and our need for a Savior. All of these being validated by the Old Testament prophecies about Christ. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. He takes a legitimate need, whatever that may be, and he twists it and he perverts it, getting us to fulfill it through our own power, through our own resources, and in ways that place that need above the Father's will for our lives and in contradiction to his Word that he's expressed to us. And when we buy into that deceptive lie, We exalt ourselves above God, becoming gods of our own lives. There's a lot of gods, small g, running around in this world today. There's a lot of gods, small g, running around in the body of Christ today. You know, the examples could go on. I mean, they go on and on and on. But when we have these legitimate needs that we're confronted with, sex is an example. You know, that's a legitimate human need. And you look how the enemy twists and tempts even God's people to fulfill that need in ways that are completely contrary to what God has told us in the Scriptures, in His Word. I mean, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 is the clearest statement of how God views that need being met. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And yet the enemy comes and says, it's a legitimate need. God knows you have that need. Meet it in the way that you want to meet it. Fulfill that need. The list could go on, but this is how Satan works, folks. Second, note this. And it's linked to the first tactic. Satan is trying to get Jesus to question the Father's goodness and provision. He's trying to get him to, con- to question the Father's goodness and provision. The Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness and into this 40-day period of fasting, and yet to tempt a man with food who had fasted for 40 days seems almost unfair and cruel. But the Father allowed it because he knew Jesus could, could, could endure it. And, and, and it was necessary for Jesus to do this for the purpose that God was working out in Jesus' life and in, in our lives and in, in the plan of redemption. And still in the midst of this, in this moment, along comes Satan appealing to Jesus' legitimate need for food by trying to get him to take matters into his own hands and providing for himself. And why wouldn't Jesus do this? I mean, how fair is it for the Father to, to allow temptation to, not, not only to bring Jesus into this circumstance, but to allow temptation like this to come at him? What kind of God would allow such a thing when, when Jesus was doing the right thing spiritually? Can you imagine what else the enemy must have been whispering into Jesus' head in this moment? God doesn't care about you. He's not going to provide for you. He brought you out here. Provide for yourself, Jesus. It's kind of like Adam in the garden and Eve, wasn't it? Did God really say? You know, and he knew that if you ate this, you'd be like him. Provide for yourself. Take it. Yet by giving in and turning the bread to stones, which was most certainly within Jesus' ability to do as God the Son, he would have essentially been denying both the goodness of God and the provision of God as he looked to himself for his own welfare and provision. 
That would have been spiritually catastrophic as it would have broken the bond that exists in the Trinity as Jesus would have exalted himself above the Godhead itself and become God of his own life, become his own universal God, apart from the other members of the Trinity, you see, that comprise the one God. They would have broken it apart. And folks, it's spiritually catastrophic when we ignore God's goodness and provision and take matters into our own hands as it breaks the bond of trust that God desires for us to have in our relationship with him as his children. When we take matters into our own hands to meet our legitimate needs in ways that are contrary to what God wants from us, what he's expressed to us in his word, when we begin to trust more in what we want in meeting our needs than we do in God, we begin to question the goodness of God. We begin to question the provision of God. And in the process, we break apart the relationship that we have with God because we become gods of our own lives. We exalt ourselves above him. I can provide. I can be. I can do. I, 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 I. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> and sadly, we might even try to spiritualize doing this at times. Convincing ourselves by taking matters into our own hands, it, it, it shows initiative that God will somehow bless and honor what we're doing. We give ourselves over to that old and spiritually perverse adage, please, those of you who attend here, don't ever let me hear you say this, because you'll get a response from me. Well, you know, God helps them who helps themselves. That's not true. <laughs> Biblically, that's not true. He does not. At least not when the way we go about it and the reason we're doing it has to do with a lack of firm trust in him and in the provision that he's He's promised to make for us. Look, I'm not taking away from initiative and stepping out by faith and doing things. I mean, God's given us skills and abilities not to be sitting on and say, well, if God wants me to do it, you know, he'll tell me. No, there are things that we do, but we don't do it with the attitude that, you know what, I, I got I to take this for myself. He's God helps them who helps themselves. No. You know, it would have been wrong in a multitude of levels with unspeakable spiritual and eternal consequences for Jesus to have taken matters into his own hands and turned those stones into bread just to meet this fleshly need, a legitimate one at that, but yet to do that. And it's equally wrong in a multitude of levels for us to distrust God and to take matters into our own hands simply to satisfy a fleshly need or lust, no matter how legitimate it might be. Third, Satan is ultimately trying to raise doubts in Jesus' mind about his own divine status. Just a short time ago, Jesus was at the river undergoing his baptism where he heard the Father telling him that he was his beloved son. And now what he's hearing is Satan saying, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you're really the Son of God, do you get it? Look, there's no doubt that Satan knew who Jesus was. No doubt whatsoever. But Satan wanted to plant, at least he wanted to attempt it. It was going to be impossible, but if he could, Satan wanted to plant just a seed of doubt in Jesus' mind. If you're really the Son of God, why would God leave you here like this? Why would he lead you into the wilderness? Why would he lead you into hunger and near starvation? If you're truly the son of God, if you're really the son of God, then it's okay for you to take matters into your own hands and to produce the food you need to feed yourself. Surely God wouldn't forbid you to do that. Not if you're really divine. Not if you're really God himself as well. If you're really the son of God, then prove it to yourself by turning these stones into much needed bread that you're craving for and need right now. 
You see the subtle deception of all that? And how often does Satan do that with you and me? He comes to us as, and he brings a challenge associated with a legitimate need in our lives. And often he does that when we're at the most desperate point. We're out of money. We're out of food. We're out of things. We're frustrated. We don't know where it's all coming from. We lost our job. But he comes to us and he subtly undermines our status in God. He subtly tries to get us to question if we're really God's children. If you've you're really God's child. If you've really placed your faith in him and, and you're part of his family, if you're truly among the redeemed, then why would you be in this situation? Huh? And if you are his, then why not just step out and by faith apply that God-given ability and make provision for yourself? Do it. Do whatever you must to get what you need. God will honor if you're really his, and then we'll get to see, and you'll get to see that you really belong to him. (laughs) You see how all of these strategies of the enemy, they work together, just like he's doing with Jesus. He he comes trying to, to get us to question the legitimacy of our standing in God, whether that divine spark of God is truly in us, whether we're really part of the family of God as Christ promised we would be if we placed our faith in him. He comes trying to get us to question God's provision for us. He comes trying to get us to usurp God's will and to take matters into our own hands. He subtly comes and he says to us, as he said to Jesus, look, if you're really God's child, why would God leave you in this terrible situation that you're in? Or why would he deprive you of that legitimate physical need in your life at this point in your life? Surely, if you're really his, you can work out a plan to get what you need for yourself. It won't matter if your plan goes against what God wants you to do. After all, didn't even say in his word that all things are lawful for you? Anyways, be really careful. Our enemy is subtle, and he is cunning, and he will do anything, and he will do everything he can to undermine your trust in God by appealing to your ability to meet the needs of your own flesh, just as he's doing with Jesus. But look how Jesus handles this temptation. It's simple, it's clear, and it's applicable to all of our lives as we face different yet similar temptations by the enemy. Look at verse 4. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written. You like to underline your Bibles? Just underline those three words. It is written. (laughs) Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. It is written. There it is. There's the response. There's the answer to this temptation. It is written. In fact, it's the response that will answer every temptation that Jesus will face, and honestly, every answer that we will face. It is written. Do you see? Instead of distrusting God, Jesus simply defers to God. Instead of focusing on Satan and the temptation, he defers back and looks to God, and he takes his stand relying completely upon God's Word. It is written. In other words, God said it. He wrote it down for me. I believe him, I will obey him, regardless of how much my flesh might be crying out for things that it wants and may legitimately need right now. I will trust in him and I will obey him. Instead of giving in to Satan's temptation to turn the stones into bread and feeding himself, Jesus instead simply chooses to feed upon the truth of God's word and to depend upon it for the provision that he needed most. (laughs) I like how 
One pastor put it when referring to this event in Matthew's account, which Matthew tells us something at the end of it that, that Luke does not, but Matthew tells us that when the temptation was over, that the angels came and they ministered to Jesus. But I like what he said. He said, Jesus was willing to pass on the bread in order to later receive the angel food cake. Yeah. Jesus was focused on the eternal things, not on the temporal things. And folks, that's the key for us as well. It's the key for us as well. We need to take God at his word, and we need to take our stand upon it, and we need to trust in what he said to us and in the provision that, that it provides for us despite our circumstances. When, when our flesh is crying out for needful things, instead of giving in to the temptation to trust in ourselves to meet those needs, we need to instead trust that God is our provider, Jehovah Jireh, our provider, and that he will meet our needs in his timing and in his way, regardless of what Satan or our flesh might be telling us. For it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Is the bread important? Absolutely. Is God telling us we shouldn't go earn a living? Absolutely not. But he is telling us where the priority is, where our trust is. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the word is eternal. It's the bread that will feed us eternally. Why trade the true bread that comes from God for, for the bread that perishes? Why do that? Why trade your trust in God's word for trust in yourself and for what you think you can provide for yourself? It's not only foolish, it's destructive to our relationship with God that is built and established upon trust in him. And by the way, it's also worth noting that this particular response that Jesus makes here is actually a quote taken from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, that relates to God providing manna to the children of Israel during the wilderness period. Remember how that kind of ebbed and flowed? Times they trusted him and times they didn't. And Jesus pulls that quote right out of there and he uses it. You're going to find that Jesus' response to Satan's temptation will be quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. So this must have been one of his favorite books. If God has a favorite book, it must be the one. So if it's his favorite book, maybe it should be ours too. <laughs> now look on at verse 5. Next temptation. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Imagine that, seeing it all. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Hmm. Well, after trying to get to tempt Jesus' fleshy needs, right, these fleshly needs that he has, legitimate ones, but trying to tempt him in that, he now comes with a temptation that has to do with the lust of the eyes. This one has to do with the lust of the eyes. And he takes Jesus up on this high mountain where Jesus is able to look down and, 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 and not just survey the surrounding regions, but to be given this, this vision of all of the, the various bordering kingdoms and beyond that exist in the world. And Satan simply says to Jesus, I'll give them all to you if you'll just do this one little insy-bitsy-weensy little thing for me. I'll give them all to you if you just fall down and worship me. Just fall down, worship me, follow me, give me honor, give me the glory. Fall down, do that, and it'll all be yours. Now, if the last temptation had to do with questioning God's provision, this temptation ultimately has to do with questioning God's promise, his promise. I've heard some teachers suggest that Satan had no authority to offer these things to Jesus, but, but I got to tell you, I disagree with this. Because I believe Satan was and still is in a position to offer these kinds of things. Uh, he was in a position to do it with Jesus. He's still in a position to do it with men today. Now, why do I say that? 
Because Adam and Eve gave authority to Satan when they traded the birthright to this earth that God had entrusted to them. When they traded the birthrights to this earth, to Satan, when, when listening to him, and they chose to enter into willful sin in the garden. In that moment, in that moment, in that bite of that forbidden fruit, in that moment, the deed of this earth, which God had entrusted to mankind whom he created, it was handed to Satan, all for the lust of the flesh, all for the lust of the eyes, all for the pride of life. From that moment forward in time, Satan had the authority to offer the kingdoms of this earth to those whom he wished to offer them to. Although technically they didn't belong to him, nor should he have ever been in possession of them, he still had control over them, which God allowed. God allowed that so mankind would reap the consequences of the choice to willfully reject God and to enter into sin by living in a world that's dominated by Satan's control. That's my answer to people today when they say, well, I don't understand if God exists, then why would there be hurricanes and tornadoes? Why would there be COVID and people would die? Because we live in a sinfully fallen world that we traded away in the garden. (laughs) God's just turned it over. Now, we know from Revelation 5 that Jesus came back into possession of the title deed of the earth and mankind as a whole. He came into possession of it through the finished work of the cross. And yet at the time of this temptation, that work of redemption was not yet completed. And so while Jesus as God most certainly had the power to lay claim to it all as God, he chose to allow Satan that control. And so it was well within Satan's purview to offer these things to Jesus in exchange for his loyalty and worship. And I'd further argue that even though Jesus had finished the work then later to redeem the title deed of the earth, which Revelation 5 says that he did through his own shedding of blood on the cross and his resurrection, he is still allowing Satan some limited control over the kingdoms of the earth, even as they exist today. Unlike those who hold a, a kingdom now theology, those who believe that Jesus is now in control of the earth and that we are now his kingdom people living in this, in this world. And, and as we live more fully for him, more and more of the earth gets renovated and turned over to him. More and more of the earth is being restored. I do not believe that the scriptures teach that at all. The scriptures tell us that more and more of the world is not getting better, but it's getting worse. And that Satan has still been permitted to hand kingdoms over to those that he wishes to hand them over to, and that ultimately he will hand them over to a man who will worship him, the Antichrist. Jesus wouldn't, but there will be a false Christ who will. But it is the kingdom of Antichrist that will be the final kingdom, which Satan will have the authority to hand over to any man, to any human being. Because Jesus in that, at the end of that, is going to step in, he's going to return, and he's going to physically lay claim to all that he has spiritually redeemed through his work of redemption on the cross. But that day has not come yet. So did Satan have the authority to offer these kingdoms to Jesus in exchange for his worship and loyalty? I don't know if he had the authority, but he most certainly had been allowed control to make that offer. (laughs) just as he maintains some control over things that he comes and he offers to us in this life. If you'll just come and worship me, you can have that primo job. You can have that big house. You can have all the stuff in life that you're craving for that others have. If you just come and worship me, you can have it too. Remember a story that made my hair stand up on end. There's a fellow pastor and 
he was sharing this with a group of guys at a conference, and I was sitting on the other side of the room, but I heard him talk, and it caught my ear. And he was talking about how, you know, he had come to the Lord when he was younger, but along the way he had just gotten caught up in the world, just so caught up in the world, backslidden in so many ways. His dad was a pastor, and we'd really been praying that the Lord would bring him home, bring him back, bring him back, bring him back to serve the Lord. But he'd made his way up in, in the profession that he was in and, and, and rising quickly through the ranks. And one day I had an interview with a, with a CEO of a company in New York. And he said at the end of the interview, the CEO was totally impressed with him and wanted to hire him. And he said, come on over here. I want to show you something. They're up on the top floor, he said, of this. It's almost, I guess it was a penthouse kind of office. And he said, it was all glass. And you could see the city. And he said, he walked, he walked me over to the window and he put his arm around me and he said, this can be all yours if you just sign with us. This can all be yours if you'll just sign with us. Whew. <laughs> I mean, it made, I, I hope you're getting the same chills I had. <laughs> it made the chills go up. And you know, it was funny in that moment, as he was telling the story, he said, in that moment, every hair on my body stood up because I heard those words before. Yeah, right here. That's what Satan does, but he does it in such subtle ways. And he's doing it with us on a daily basis. He comes to us. You can have, you can have, you can have, if you'll just worship. So what's Jesus' response? Look at verse eight. Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written... You like to underline your Bibles? It is written. Underline those three words again. It is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. It is written. There's the answer. Do you get the sense that Jesus has a one-track mind and, and that everything boils down to this simple answer and He cannot be dissuaded? It is written. Even though what is written is different in each situation, the premise is still exactly the same. God said it. God wrote it down. I believe it. I will obey it. In this case, despite the appeal to his eyes, this was about the lust of the eyes, right? Jesus knew the promise of provision that the Father had made to him, and he trusted in the Father enough to say no to the offer Satan that was making to him. He knew that what Satan was offering him was only temporal anyways, as the kingdoms of this present world would eventually fade and pass away. But what the Father was offering to give to him was a kingdom that would last forever. Revelation chapter 11, verse 5, clearly declares that. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there, was, there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Right? We know this verse. We sing this verse. And this verse is true, and Jesus knew that it was a promise to him. Why would Jesus give his loyalty to Satan to gain something for himself that would perish in the end when, when he has the promise of a kingdom that will last into eternity? But this is what makes Jesus, the second Adam, different from the first Adam. The first Adam traded eternal things for something temporal. Jesus didn't make the same mistake. He succeeded where the first Adam failed. Listen, folks, although the circumstances are clearly different. Satan is still trying to entice us with all sorts of temporal things to gain our loyalty, to gain our worship of him, to draw us away from the eternal things that God has offered to us. He wants us to forget about, to disregard those eternal promises that God has made to us by offering us things that might seem appealing to our flesh, to our eyes. 
yet all of which are fleeting and temporary. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled into exchanging the eternal, the, the something of value for something that's temporary and valueless, no matter how appealing, no matter how rich it might seem at the moment, because what he's offering to you will not last. And most certainly won't hold a candle to what God is offering to give you if you'll just wait for it, if you'll just wait for it. But here's part of the problem. We have a hard time waiting for what we cannot see. <laughs> We have a hard time waiting for what we don't see. Our desires are stirred by what's in front of us. And 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 holding out for something that's over the horizon or hard to comprehend is tough for us human beings. You can try this experiment if you have kids. I guarantee you how it's going to turn out in most cases, unless you have a very exceptional child. Offer your kids something of little value that they can have right now versus something of far greater value that they can't see, that they may not fully comprehend, but they have to wait for it, but it's going to be really, it's much better, much more value in it. They got to wait for it. Guess which they are more likely to take? They're more likely to take what they see in front of them right now that will give them pleasure than to wait for something better, of greater value that you're offering to give to them. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.